The worst kept secret in the luxury social events industry is that businesses are developed through networking, referrals and word of mouth. RSVP puts all of you in the room and lets the conversations happen. We are a member networking community for the elite of the global wedding and party industry, producing symposium conferences, awards, networking theme parties, breakfast clubs, and now weekly member podcasts and much more. So welcome to the RSVP In Conversation With podcast. Our guest today describes himself as thus. From watchmaker and jeweler to budding supermarket manager to magazine and TV photographer to luxury wedding photographer and along the way husband to Liz and father to Alan and Amelia. Famous for clearly not taking life too seriously. As a Derby County fan, he, he can't afford to. And a massive U2 fan, having travelled the globe, worshipping at the altar of the Celtic gods. Now firmly convinced that the only way forward is following the Bible, according to Del Boy. This time next year, we'll all be millionaires. Welcome, Stuart Wood. Hello, James. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, very good, sir. Very good. That's an interesting introduction. I don't think I'll be interviewing too many supermarket managers <laughs> doing this along the way. But actually, let's start off with that. How did you become a supermarket manager? I didn't, actually. Uh, I nearly did, and then gave it all up to do photography. Left school, worked at my uncle's first as an apprentice watchmaker and jeweler. Uh, got my city and gills in jewellery, actually made my own uh, wedding ring and Liz's as well, so that's quite nice. Out the same piece of gold, which is quite nice. That didn't work out, but I was still studying jewellery. In the meantime, had to pay the bills, went into supermarkets. Next thing, I wanted to be the supermarket manager. Just about got there. Along the way, obviously, got into my uh, photography and managed to buy my first serious camera. Lived and breathed it, just about to get onto management circuit Sainsbury's. Went to the manager and said, don't want to do it now because I, I, I think we get one shot at this life that we know about. So why don't I do something I love rather than something I have to do? I don't mind working at Sainsbury's, quite like it. But I've absolutely always dreamed about being a photographer. So I'm going to, get, I'm going to give it up and go to college. He said, you're mad because you're going to make a good manager. I said, you might be right. It might be the worst decision I've ever made. You know? But 30 years later, I'm still managing to uh, take the ad snap now and again. So uh, it didn't turn out too bad. Wonderful. So actually, let's take you back a little bit further mm. to, about your childhood. Where were you educated? Where were you born? What's your first memory? And lots of other things like that. Right. Okay. Born in Derby. Always lived in Derby. I sat three years at Salisbury for, for uh, my college days doing photography. And that's uh, always been a, a bonus being halfway to everywhere for my business later on. So I travel anywhere and I can, I'm sort of halfway there already, which has always been good. So I've always based myself around Derby. I had a wonderful childhood uh, and and was indulged and allowed to, to sort of discover the world on my own, which I think all kids should be able to. And uh, massively interested in history back in the day. Used to you remember the late the old Ladybird books? Mm -hmm. Yes, I used to have the whole set of those. Loved them. Used to read them avidly and used to be fascinated by uh, history. And thought when I'd grow up, I'd be an archaeologist. But I never used to tell anybody that because I always thought it sounded really pretentious, although I didn't even know what that word meant at that stage. It's a very sexy job now, archaeology. Yeah, yeah. I suppose Indiana Jones. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, it's, um, it, it's actually, if you are an archaeologist, you are sort of somebody who is someone to be looked up to or anything, which is interesting. Okay. And do you have a first memory? Can you remember the first thing, staring out of your pram and, and seeing something? I think it was being at some sort of party 
I always remember everyone looking at me because you you look at young kids, don't you, and go, oh, isn't he, she, lovely. And I remember that. I think it was at my nan's, and, and I think that's the earliest memory that I've got. But all the all the childhood memories of the, of the uh, obviously, the summer holidays and, and uh, these exotic places like the beach at Kent, which uh, then was like a, you know, landlocked derby was like another universe. And then, of course, the Christmases, the, the fabulous Christmases. I just, I couldn't get to sleep the night before. But I, this, this I could never understand because I was told, look, if you don't go to sleep, Santa might not stop at you know and give you anything. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> That's a bit of a disproportionate response for such an innocuous indiscretion. Surely he always seemed really nice when I sat on his knee at the co-op grotto. So I couldn't understand why he'd look, he'd look me over just because I wasn't awake, you know. And I still got the love of my holidays with the families and the Christmases still. Okay, and actually, let's let's talk about your holidays. Where is the the place that you go to chill out and relax? Your favourite location, country? Yeah, I mean, with last few years we've been doing Turkey all inclusive. A really nice place we'll pick. And I'm not the one that these adventure holidays. If if that's fine, great. But the thought of canoeing and I don't know climbing mountains and. I don't know, uh, uh, skateboarding down the Amazon or whatever else uh, doesn't interest me at all. I, I'm like, uh, I'm exhausted. I want to be comfortable, somewhere luxurious, in the shade because of my Celtic skin, can't stand the sun, with a book and a drink and uh, by the pool. And we'll go on trips and we'll 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 get to know the, the locals. I always get to know the locals because uh, give me a week on a sunbed, then I want to be taking pictures. So I always introduce myself to s- some locals, start photographing them. You do have this innate ability, I must admit, when obviously we spent some time together and um, you come to the conferences, that within a very short period of time, everyone knows who you are, <laughs> knows what you do, who you are, and, and suddenly you're in the midst of everything, which is bloody brilliant, I must admit. You are, I mean, if I was to draw and, on, and create a, a member of the RSVP community, you would probably be the top of the list in terms of the personality and the gregariousness, which is precisely what we want. It is amazing, and, and I do congratulate you on that because it isn't an easy thing to do just to walk into a room full of strangers and half an hour later everyone's your best friend. It's, it's no. brilliant. I only wish that I could do a tenth of what you do in terms of your networking capabilities. You've mentioned that you're the biggest U2 fan in the world, yeah. um, but was it your first gig going to go and see them? No, it was some obscure band when we are at school and you're supposed to have been over 16 to get in the King's Hall in Derby, and it was some prog rock band, and I can't... When when that question came up, I thought, I can't remember what they're called. But we went and we managed to blag our way in. We bought tickets and everything, but we were only about 14. But we tried to look a bit older, got in. And uh, and I can't exactly remember who they were. But that was the first one. you know. But I suppose my first real big gig was a few years later. I went to see Earth, Wind and Fire at the NEC. Whoa. <laughs> and that was a bit different from the King's All in Derby. You know. Do you remember when your first U2 gig was? When you first discovered them, to be honest, and... I I admired them from from afar for many years, and then I thought, why have I not gone to see them? Believe it or not, my first being sort of you know taken over in a way by Joshua Tree and and then Acton Baby when they reinvented themselves, etc. But it wasn't until the Vertigo tour, which is two thousand and five, when I thought, you know, I better go and see these guys, you know. And then I, then I thought, what am I doing? So I went to see them a few times in England, and I went to see them in Amsterdam on that tour and Lisbon uh, on my own, and again stood with a load of Portuguese and made friends of them. Uh, t- notably, we were in um, the Abelardi Stadium, which is sporting Lisbon, 
and there was two Benfica fans next to me, which were the big rivals. But we ended up mates and hugging each other at the end, and uh, and we've had a few uh, uh, drinks uh, to oil the uh, uh, the vocal cords to sing along, and then we're about, we're all three hugging each other. I love you, man, because I know I'm going to see him again. And then since then, again, I've been to see him in Dublin at the home turf as well, and many, many times all over the place. So, so yeah, big fan. Is music your favourite art form? I mean, you are a photographer, so yeah. so maybe it's that. But but is it TV, film, painting? I suppose photography. Photography is the first art form, obviously. But then it probably music, and then it's film. I love film. I love the escapism of film. You can escape for two hours and and uh, go on all sorts of adventures or not. But I just love that. Do you have a favourite sort of director or favourite film you, you you would go to? Favourite film is going to be a bit predictable. It's the, it's the two Godfathers, I think. I think they're just absolutely amazing. I can watch them time and time again because uh, the, the scripts, and you always see something new anyway, the scripts, the acting, obviously Pacino's first role. And, of course, his first assassination is uh, and how nervous he is and all that. And he's the gun behind the toilet system and all that. You know, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, so they're probably my first two favourites. And then it's prob- I love the Lord of the Rings uh, films as well, because, again, that's complete escapism. And I think they were done really well. So a uh, very varied choice. Very va- Oh, and Christmas, it's got to be Wonderful Life, of course, with Jimmy Stewart. Okay. And the- there's you. always a tear in my eye at the end when everybody rallies round and saves the day. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. And do you have a special talent? that no one knows about, which you can tell the world. The one I was going to say, you've already said, actually, and that's the fact that I am memorable, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm being uh, uh, very luckily, uh, and I went and sought this out myself, as you know, because I, I like to make things happen and being a little bit older as well, thinking like, if you don't make things happen, you're going to regret it. I'm, I'm now being, as you know, James, being mentored by uh, Joy Proctor, biggest wedding designer in the world. And I'd met her some years before. And then when I got reintroduced to her, I said to, uh, to the person that was being mentored by her at that stage, ask her, A, does she remember me? Uh, it was a big workshop I went on, a, a, a French photographer, Greg Thing. And B, uh, would she consider mentoring me? So the message came back. Tell Stuart there were delegates from all over the world, from Argentina, China, Australia, da, 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 wherever, for this massive workshop uh, in, in France. I can't remember any of the delegates, but I remember Stuart, you know. <laughs> and uh, and it's like you said. And, and uh, I'll tell you the story that might be edited uh, because it's quite a long one. Uh, and the reason she remembered me, I was sat down t- uh, with her uh, and I thought, you know, network with the biggest wedding designer in the world. This is what my head's saying. My heart is with Derby County. We're playing this massive semi-final playoff against Leeds. Greg, the host and the photographer, is a big football fan as well. And he says, how are you going to get on tonight? And I said, oh, we're going to lose. We're, we're one nil down at our leg and blah, blah, blah. We're going to lose. Uh, there we go, because Liz is texting me the scores. Uh, we're one nil down. And then a bit later, I said, look, it's one all. Derby County is leading me on as usual. And then about half an hour later, I went up to him and, and he turned around and he knows the look on my face. And he goes, you, you've scored, haven't you? So it's 2-1 towards the game on. <laughs> so he then shone the... Uh, he said, I'll, I'll project the, the, the game on the wall, but we can't have the sound because of people talking. I wanted to chat, obviously. But So the entertainment for the rest of the night, and he was plying me with Lefroy whiskies along the way as well, was the mad Englishman leaping around, and we won right at the end, I'm hugging him. I woke up the next morning thinking, you bloody idiot, Stuart. There was the be- biggest wedding designer in the world, and I've blown it. you know. But then, obviously, I didn't, because a few years later, she remembered me, and now she's mentoring me. 
And yes, you are completely unforgettable for a million different reasons, and that's just one of them, completely. <laughs> and I know that you think about your future in terms of self self improvement and development a lot. And but in ten years' time, I mean, we we are of a similar age, so um, we're not exactly young anymore, sadly. But in ten years' time, where do you see yourself doing? And is it Del Boy? having pina coladas on the beach that, that would be nice, um, in 10 it? years time yes i actually prefer alan rickman's quote in in die hard when he said by the time they find out i'll be on a beach earning 20 percent." and i think that's probably <laughs> it. And when he says that we watch that every boxing day uh that's another favorite film i suppose uh, i always wanted to get away with it then because i want him i want him on that beach you know but uh, <laughs> uh in 10 years time as you know i i, I like you say I've got all this experience now, 30 years, basically, nearly, of, of, of doing photography, realising I haven't got another 30 years to put into practice. So, And I know you know this. I've given myself a, a target because I've got about 10 years before nature's going to make me slow down of becoming uh, one of Vogue's top 20 wedding photographers in the world. Now, I might make it, I might not, but I'm going to damn well go for it because I've got nothing to lose, and I'm chipping away every day at that. Well, you are already one of RSVPs, so yeah, top 20 in the world. So, so that's what... Well, small rung up. That's a <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to move on to something which uh, I love that we both share, and that's eating and drinking, sadly. And we've both had our travails with that and positives and negatives yeah. over the years. So, okay, let's just say you had a bar in your home with every single drink in the whole world, and you went up to the bar, and then the best barman in the world was there. And what would you ask him for? I think it would be, uh, sadly, a malt whiskey, because that's my... That's my so the triple, really. All, all the fancy stuff um, and the cocktails, I, I enjoy them, but that would be the that, that would be the drink of choice. Uh, any particular brands? Yeah, I like the Laphroaigs, uh, uh, but I also like uh, like the is it McCallum, uh, the, the sort of grassier ones as well. So I like them all, really. So, uh, you know, but I like a really good one. So it would be that as my choice, yeah. Okay, wonderful. And... Yeah, favorite food if you if you were having some food and in your own home yeah it, would, yeah it could be made by your your good wife or yourself or brought in or you, or you brought a chef in it probably won't be made by me no <laughs> uh, but uh, uh my favorite food is uh, again it's a bit predictable steak and chips <laughs> a medium rare uh fillet is like oh yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. So that's the favourite, and maybe because that I think uh, when I was younger, and mum and dad bought me this suit, and they took me out, uh, they took us out, I should say, and that was the uh, they kept saying we're going to have steak and chips and mushrooms, and and it's still there, and it'll never go away, you know. And Liz has a, when we go out for a meal, she'd go, oh, I know what you're going to have, you know, try something different, and I do sometimes. I've got a bit more adventurous, but mostly it'll be that. Well, um, it's interesting how sort of sportsmen have come along, but it, it, steak and chips just makes me, in terms of my memory, is when I was younger, I used to get a magazine called Shoot. Yeah. You probably did as yeah. well, okay. And then on the back, they did an interview with a footballer of the day, and nine times out of ten, it said your favourite food yeah. is steak and chips. But footballers, all they do is eat steak and chips. N now it's the worst thing they could probably eat. <laughs> yeah. yes. That has really stuck with me as the Same food here. of the gods, yeah. really. Same steak here. and chips, it really mm. has. You've got Lafroy, you've got all kinds of other drinks, you've got steak and chips on the menu, you, you've got the finest Aberdeen Angus beef that's come in, and you're having a dinner party. Who is in the room? Anybody, alive, dead, or even mystical? Who would you have round? Uh, who would provide you with the most stimulating conversation? I'm going to be a bit predictable. I'd get uh, Bono in there and, uh, and and have a chat with him and and uh, and uh, tell him how many times I've seen him 
and uh, hope he remembers me <laughs> after all this. <laughs> Apparently, I am quite memorable, so that'd be quite nice. Uh, never actually met him. And, and as you know, I, I've shot a lot of the stars uh, along the way, and I've done lots of the comic relief, and I almost did you two ones, but then uh, it, it kind of fell through. So I'm never actually, I mean, I've done McCartney and, and, and a, lot, a raft of the others, but never ha actually met him yet. So he'd be one. And then from my Ladybird books, I'd get Alexander the Great in just to like sit him down. This guy, by the modern day standards, would probably be classed as some sort of war criminal now. But back in the day, he managed to conquer the known world by the age of, what was it, 32? It, I think it was, yes. Well, he died at 32 yeah. anyway. So, And, um, and yeah. famously, because I've got that in, on, in the footsteps of Alexander Gray, that Michael Wood thing, when he, uh, when he actually conquered Persepolis, there was that much gold in there. There was more gold in it than there is in Fort Knox now, and you think, Jesus. <laughs> and yet he still wanted to carry on, and his, his, his um, generals and his soldiers are going like, let's go home and enjoy it. I'm on their side. It's like, what else do you want? You've got more gold th than there is anywhere else in the world. Go and enjoy it. You know. So, uh, so I'd, ask, I'd ask him why he, did, he just wanted to carry on. And he didn't just want to enjoy himself. In terms of around this dinner table, though, you, you've done the photography and, you, and you've photographed a lot of people in the public eye over the years. And, and your stories are legendary about when you've done them. Now, not too sure how many you want to share with us, but is there anybody that you want to tell a story about that you, you think it's safe to do so? <laughs> or <laughs> um, um, who, who maybe you would also want around the table at some point as well? Well, I'll t I suppose... You know, Paul McCartney's as big as anyone. Um, although I've done Prince Charles, sorry, King Charles now. I can never get over that. Not yet, anyway. Uh, and Beckham's and uh, Robbie Williams and, you know, so lots of them, lots of them. And uh, and and obviously, I'm saying all men, lots of sort of famous women too, you know. And uh, uh, I did all the Atomic Kitten girls when they were, they were trendy. I remember that. Um, and lots of footballers. I, was, I used to get flown out to places to shoot footballers like Rivaldo out in Barcelona, which is great. The uh, the McCartney story is quite interesting. It was it, it was the comic relief. Uh, it was it was like because he's rock royalty. It was designed for him to enter the studio, and there was a raft of all, all the stars uh, at this at this filming. It was it was supposed to be at some sort of uh, dinner table and, and talking about uh, uh, himself and and whatever in in the in the sketch. But it was all designed for him to uh, uh, arrive last and him done and uh, him get away first. So everyone's like, oh, Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney. So he walks in, and I've got a, a, a background set up, and it's with James Corden, I think, if I remember rightly. The, the, the sketch was the Smithy James Corden character got all the guys together to help comic relief. That was the thing. So McCartney turns up, uh, and there's no guarantee I'm actually going to photograph him. And uh, his people come up, and it's the it's the usual with these uh, with with these like uh, with uh, whether it's royalty or big celebrities, it's the people you got to worry about, not them. And and nothing was truer than in this instance. So he turns up. Uh, I've got a background set up, all the lights. I'm told you'll, this is for a massive Radio Times pull-out cover. So it's like the cost of those is, is, is astronomical to get that pull-out. So there's a lot riding on this. You'll get two minutes only. That's it. Okay. So I said, right. Okay. So all of a sudden, they said, you're on. Uh, so turn the lights on. Got an assistant with me. There's a, there's a light or two ready to throw up in case one, because if one's going to go down on you, that's the time it's going to go down on you. The spare lenses, blah, blah, blah. He walks up and he goes, uh, he comes across to him and he goes, uh, uh, what's your name? I said, uh, Stuart. He says, I'm Paul. <laughs> oh, really? Right. <laughs> Hi, Paul. And he goes, where are you from? I said, Derby. And of course, the scouts, you oh, well, we're not all perfect, are we? So, and they said, right, you got two minutes. So, uh, and actually, James, it's quite a long time because I'm used to that kind of stuff anyway. 
so, and I've got it all planned out. I didn't want you, the last thing you want to do is like, uh, well, what are we going to do? You've got to have these ideas straight for So I said, look, I've got an idea because Comet Relief, gentlemen, this is James Corden and, and um, Paul McCartney. That the first minute, if we can concentrate on James all over Sir Paul like a rash and he's not particularly impressed, and then maybe on the last minute, if you'll do it, Paul, uh, you'll, you throttle James Corbin. And I thought that his people might go, no, 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 no. But he went, great idea. So that's what we did. And we got it. And we got lots of different options, only two of which were approved by Macca. Uh, and that's it. And they're the only ones you can ever use. Uh, and then, of course, after that, everyone wants selfies with him. Uh, whatever. My two minutes is done, but I've got him in the bag. And as he's, and this is really nice, actually, everyone's after him, can I have an autograph, selfie, great, and, you know, all the big producers are there. And then he looks, at, he's about to leave and he looks across and he sees me and he walks all the way across the studio and says, great working with you, Stuart. And I just went, yes, that's a beetle, that's a beetle, you know? <laughs> so that's not bad, is it? That's not a bad story. Shall I give, so, you, shall I give you another one? Oh, go on then, go right. on. Then. My most famous one, and and I'm sure I've told you this, James, uh, uh, but I'll tell it anyway. And again, it can be edited out if there's too many. But uh, uh, I've got, you know, the film Love Actually, mm-hmm. and there's that famous comings together at the end at Heathrow Airport. I've got one. I got a phone call just for Christmas, uh, and the phone call was, Stuart, do you fancy a week in Moscow with Joanna Lum? So, uh, so I said, uh, let me think about that. <laughs> for half a second. Yeah, let me I'm think sure. about that. And I'll get back to you. No, it was like, uh, yeah. So I was flown out there just for a Trans-Siberian Railway adventure, and she was ending up in Moscow. And we shot her in Red Square with all the snow coming down. It was brilliant. Uh, and uh, uh, told her about... Uh, there's always there's always another story with me. This is the problem. Uh, I had to hire a light in Moscow, so I didn't have to, too much to drag uh, around with me. And it was the other side of Moscow. And I don't know if you've ever been to Moscow, James, but the uh, I know you've been to most places. The yeah. traffic is completely dead, doesn't move. So I had to try, uh-huh. try and get across the other side of Moscow, get the light, come back to shoot her in Red Square, where I'm shooting it for about five different magazines. So anyway, we managed to do that. I'm telling the story over a, a black Russian uh, choc- hot chocolate, which is amazing. And uh, we got on like a house on fire, uh, shot the pictures in Red Square and all over Moscow that week. But on the way back, she said, come and see me in first class and bring me one of your Christmas cards. I used to have my kids on the Christmas card. So I managed to blag my way up to first class from economy. I'm on the same flight. Got to uh, Joanna and she goes, uh, Stuart, you're the only one I want to work with from now on. I went, that would do. We get to, we gets to Heathrow, we land, and then I'm over here on this carousel getting my luggage. Joanna and the crew are over here getting their luggage and she gets hers off first. And this is the moment. It's brilliant. Uh, she looks at me and she runs across to me, bedecked in fur. I'm sure it's faux fur with Joanna, but it still looked brilliant. Uh, she hugs me, wonderful sense of amazing perfume. And in my ear, she whispered, Happy Christmas, darling. <laughs> and you know what, mate? I'm taking that. Yeah. I'm taking that. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. You do have the best stories. You really do. <laughs> I must admit. You really do. Okay, right. RSVP, as you probably know, we, we don't do things too seriously. We are a little bit naughty. What's the naughtiest thing that you've ever done, Stuart? Jesus, how long have you got? <laughs> Considering I've worked in warehouses in supermarkets, and if you've ever done that, anyone who's listening, uh, you'll realise two things, that blokes are utterly stupid, uh, and, and B, we never grow up, you know. And and, uh, and so the, the, the stuff that used to go on there, but the, but the bosses, this is a long story, I'm sure it can be edited. The bosses always used to turn a blind eye because it kind of creates a nice atmosphere. And you work really hard as well. So, you know, uh, but anyway, on my last day, 
uh, there was a tradition long since banned in this PC world now of uh, basically taking you out the warehouse door. Everyone rocks up and throws anything over you, you know, uh, anything that's rancid or whatever, whatever. Oh, and considering <laughs> I was probably the, shall we say, one of the more enthusiastic when others left, I knew I was going to get absolutely slaughtered. But there was one lad that, 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 when it comes to the practical jokes in the warehouse, there was one guy called Mark. The rest used to walk straight onto our to booby traps and all that, you know. But he, I could never better him, and he couldn't better me. So I, I always say, you're my Moriarty. And he said, I know you've got something up your sleeve on your last day. I'm not even going to come near you. Uh, so, And I had. So they led me down. I was like Sean Penn in Dead Man Walking. Led, <laughs> led me down to the warehouse door. And then they lock you into a security cage, which is basically a cage on wheels that all the booze and the fags come in, the high-value stuff. Uh, so they kind of tie you in that and then proceed to throw you. And and I've been told, because I'm one of the lads, Woody, you know, get, you know we've got uh, yogurts that's out of date about three weeks. Uh, the butchers have got blood shaved to throw oh. You name it. But oh. my, my Moriarty Mark Skinner said, like, there's no way I'm going to come near you, even when you're in that cage. Now you've got something planned. What they didn't realize uh, was the day before I had a little preparation for them. I'd got two small bottles of fairy liquid, emptied those, uh, uh, filled it up with concentrated seethit, like Sainsbury's own Ribena, which really concentrated, yeah. and food color in each. And I'd strapped them under my trousers uh, to, my, to my shins. So anybody that saw me walk into the cage uh, would think, like, why is he walking? So, I don't know, I must be nervous. Because when, when all the girls came round, throwing this, that, and the other all over me, or anything unmentionable, I just said, come on, then leash, reach there and gave them a blast from these two fairy liquid bottles. And all the girls scattered. And there was this kind of Mexican standoff, me with all rancid yogurt dripping from my eyelids and whatever, blood all down me. Uh, and then some some geezer, uh, I think, I can't remember who it was now, Dave Ollis, I think, said, put the hose in his eyes so he can't see. Nice. So I've got this hose in me, right? <laughs> and then this Simon, who I, I've got to tell you about as well. Simon uh, was... Uh, I was working with him on fruit and veg uh, for about three, four weeks before. And he was saying, what are you, you going to get murdered? You're going to get murdered. Now, Simon didn't find it strange on my last day that all of a sudden I got a packet of sweets and I was feeding him. So I fed him the whole packet of these things. These are nice, aren't they, Simon? This is throughout the day before I'm in the cage now. But yeah, they're not bad, are they? And on the last one, I said, there you go, mate. You may as well read the packet as well. And I'd gone to the joke shop and bought a pocket, packet of fart sweets proceeded to feed him the whole packet throughout the day when he says only give somebody about three or four he had the old bloody packet so he goes what do you so and so can't repeat it here i'm gonna have you now but fast forward again to the the water in my eyes he got a really distinctive laugh sign and i could see this bloke waving wavering towards me so this just a shadow of him gave him a massive blast because he got a really distinctive laugh all of a sudden I, the, the laughter stopped and i didn't know why until i saw him later on he'd walk straight in onto onto my uh, my double barrel uh, concoction. He was completely blue from head to foot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, later on, he, uh, afterwards, he came up to you and went, Woody, you had me, because I was going out that night. I had to get the scrubbing brush on my face to get rid of this blue <laughs> stuff. And that shirt, he said, I had to chuck it away. My mum tried to wash it about 10 times. And he said, but the worst bit was, because it was summer, I, uh, I'd just got, gone home on the bus on with my shirt trousers and <laughs> looking at me because I'm bright blue. <laughs> so there we go. So, uh, and just as a little calling card for somebody to, for them to remember me by, uh, I went to the uh, frozen fish department, got three lumps of frozen fish and ra rammed it. I hope I don't get sued for this. Rammed them down the back of the gents' uh, lockers, each corner. 
that went a, went a bit sour, literally. Uh, but uh, because weeks later, they, in the end, they had to unbolt the lockers from the wall to get these fish out because stench. <laughs> you know, I was expecting, oh, they'll find them quick and they'll go, oh, it's Stuart, forget about it. I mean, I always <clears throat> denied it was me, but uh, there we go. It's out there. There we go. So that's your confessional. That's what you've got to yeah. get. You put fish behind some lockers in, a, in your previous And you'll get job. remembered. I always get remembered, like you said, James. So <laughs> they'll never forget me there, will we? Okay. Well, on that note, I think our time is up. My thanks to our guest today, photographer, RSVP member, lost to Sainsbury's, non-skateboarder down the Amazon, throttler of James Corden, and a U2 junkie to the extent he still hasn't found what he's looking for, Mr. Stuart Wood. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the RSVP In Conversation With podcast. If you don't like what we do, please let us know and tell us how we can make it better. If you do like what we do, then please tell others and encourage them to listen and join RSVP. That way we will build a better community. In addition to these weekly podcasts, in July, we're starting Breakfast Club Meets in London and we have our RSVP stock party, one night of love, peace and music on the 4th of July. To join us, please go to rsvp.club or email me, james, at rsvp.club for more information. Speak to you all next week.